The goal, explain the 1990s in exactly 60 songs. The result, we did it. I'm Rob Arvilla. I host 60 songs that explain the 90s, which has indeed covered 60 fantastic songs thus far from Tupac to Radiohead to TLC. So let's do 30 more. Let's do 90 songs. No, we're not changing the name. More rad songs, more special guests, more astute critical analysis, more loopy nostalgic exuberance. That's 60 songs that explain the 90s every Wednesday only on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. What's poppin'? Real ones. Logan Murdoch here. Roger's not here, so we got our guy, friend of the show, Rob Mahoney of Group Chat fame and writing fame. And all the feels. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you, Logan? Um, I can't call it. Um, I'm still. You said in the pre-pod that this is going to be Logan's first dealings, or this is going to be the the jet lag episode. I'm mm. feeling the jet lag, bro. I'm I'm I'm. We are. This is the real ones live from Boston. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling the effects of the of the cross country flight. I'm still here. Yeah, it's it's. I, I feel embarrassed almost to even admit that, Rob. You shouldn't. Look, we're all dragging to the finish here. At least I'm dragging to the finish of these playoffs. We're all our own version of Rob Williams injecting shit into his knee just to keep going for one more game. So whatever you got to do to get through today, to get through game six, you should do it. I like that. I like that. I'm draining my knee right after this game. I mean, right <laughs> after this pod. That's what we're going to do. Um, we are talking uh, a few hours before... Game six of the NBA Finals. Um, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a long it's been an interesting series, long interesting series. Um, Rob, what is the most interesting thing you're looking for in Game Six? I think like whether Boston can get itself together on some of this turnover, this turnover issue that's been persistent for them. Like we're at, we're at a, we're at a point in this series where. Like game six, game seven, we're not really talking adjustments anymore. You know, like there's there's not really a lot of moves left to make other than maybe like Nick's a bench player and plays your starters like 46 minutes. That that's kind of the only plug left to pull. And so then it's like, can your best guys play better? Can can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have a two turnover game instead of collectively like eight? Um and so like I, I want to see if those guys have it in them. If they have it in them, they have like a super heroic performance here at home in a essential game in a 
a legacy defining game in a lot of ways. Do those guys have that kind of punch, that kind of juice, that kind of precision? Because that's what makes NBA superstars. That's what makes legends in this game. So I want to see if those guys have it. You brought up you brought up Jason Tatum. Let's go right to it. Um, Jason Tatum has had his ebbs and flows, to put it lightly, in this series. Um, we were sitting next to each other in Game Five, um, where he goes on a tear to in the, in the first. I think he starts. He hits nine of his first thirteen shots, and seems like he's on a roll. His his it's going to be um, you know at certain points that his anecdote to Steph's game four performance, and then he falls off. And um, M, uh, Coach M.A. Udoka says that he's dealing with fatigue at this point. Um, what is is this a legacy-defining game for Tatum, and does he need this game right now? Uh, and do the Celtics need him to have that game in game six? It, two really interesting questions on whether like he needs to have this game versus the Celtics need him to have this game. Because obviously the Celtics do, right? You only get so many cracks at a championship, especially when you're this close, this deep into a series and you have a real shot at it. Boston obviously does. Jason Tatum, though, is at a point in his career where you would think he's going to have more opportunities to compete. You would think that he's going to have other ways to prove himself over whatever the rest of his career looks like. Maybe that's naive to take that stuff for granted, but I, I just think he will, given the trajectory of his career to this point. So does he need it? I mean, it would help. You know, I, I, again, I, another guy who I don't know how much he has more to give than what he already has. There's some, some stats going around this morning about how through the first it was 52 days of the playoffs, I believe, he's played more minutes than any player basically in modern NBA history. Like he's just logging a ton of minutes on an already injured shoulder. Like, can you really tap deeper than that? Like, like what, where, I don't know what his extra gear looks like beyond what we've already seen. When I think about the Celtics and when I think about Tatum right now, you know, you go to the pressers yesterday and you, um, you know, just overall from the series, you get that from the Celtics of we're going to not that we're going to be here again, but there's a chance we'll be here again at some point. And I think that that's been kind of the difference in this series where you have these, this is the classic up and coming team versus the established um, dynastic franchise. And I am worried at points that the Celtics are going to get caught up in what I'd like to call the Dan Marino syndrome, where you know you win, you 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 not win, but you get to the big big show very early in your career, and where it's expected all these years. And I'm curious to see what that means for desperation tonight between both teams, because like I said, you have the Celtics who young coach honestly weren't expected to be here, have two franchise guys that can get you to this point. And then you have the Warriors who are who see the end of the tunnel and is go, are trying to grab every bit of real estate that they can. How do you see that juxtaposition playing out? My brain is really split on the Warriors. And I imagine a lot of the media are feeling this way. Where on the one hand, obviously, as we've been talking about throughout these playoffs... This is a resurgence for this dynasty. This is one of the most accomplished teams we've ever seen in the NBA getting back to the finals, getting back into championship contention. But there is like a, a little bit of a, 
not one last ride, but we're seeing some of the limitations of guys like Draymond, for example, of where he is athletically at his age, of this core, of what the next phase of Clay Clay's career is going to be like. Obviously, Steph is still incredible. Obviously, they've been able to put together the kind of roster that supports him and supports the rest of this group. But I don't know. Like, if you told me the Warriors don't make any more finals over the next five or six years, I, I think that would be a totally reasonable outcome given what we've seen. And so it's like, I, I do think that whether those guys will admit it openly, publicly or not, there is an acceptance of that fact of like, we are at a certain age now. Our core is at a certain point now. Like Andre Iguodala is more coach than player for our team. Like, can, can we get this done? Can we get this one done? Because who knows what is guaranteed beyond this point? I think that has been the tale of not only Golden State series, this series, but also throughout the uh, the postseason. It seemed like they were just staving off little homies trying to take their spot. That's what it's just, that's what it's literally what it's been when you talk about how they played against um a lesser extent Denver, but when you see them playing against Memphis and you see them playing against Dallas, it's you know, we're gonna get we're gonna thread this needle as long as we can. And that's something that's a desperation that Boston I don't think even can get to because they just don't understand it yet as a as a young club. They're still figuring a lot of this stuff out, clearly. Just in terms of the execution level of what it takes to survive a finals, you can see a pretty clear disparity between these two teams. One of them is just like much bigger and much longer than the other in the Celtics. And so they have some margin for error because of that. But I mean, the, the Warriors are just, they understand how to read really high-level defenses and break them down. They understand how to counter really high-level opponents on the other side of the ball like those guys, they, you can see even in Draymond's worst games, he'll make instinctive plays that insert Celtics role player X is just not capable of making, you know? Game four is a great example of the, of the point that you made about Draymond where he doesn't play well for, I don't know how many minutes he played, but let's say 90% of those minutes he did not play well and then gets taken out. They put Looney in and then he comes back in, makes two great passes and they win the game, you know? I'm curious to see though, because this is my this is my first time in Boston. It's popping out here. Um, every every the it's it's a it's a really it's a, a very interesting sports city. But it seems like they're going to, to to be ready for the Celtics in Game Six. What are you? What kind of what are, what are you looking for out of the Celtics to start this game? I think one thing is whether they can compete in the first quarter without overtaxing their core guys. Because we know just by the formula of this, that Tatum and Brown are going to have to play a lot. And yeah, I think one of the big problems for them in, in game five was they got down, like the Warriors looked so good early that the Celtics both gave up a lead. And at the same time, Steph wasn't having to do a ton to, to secure that lead. And so Steph was kind of pacing himself in a way that Tatum and Brown were not really allowed to do. And so if Jason, if Jason Tatum can have like more of a chill first quarter while some of the other guys do some heavy lifting, then maybe minutes 40 to 46 go a little go down a little bit easier. You know, maybe maybe that's a little smoother for him and he's in the right headspace and he's making the right reads and he's just he's not exhausted by the end of the game because that's really where it seemed like we ended up in game five like that. He just looked like he had nothing left in terms of his legs and lift and, and then his decision making because he's so taxed. It's it's interesting because going into the series, you would have thought the 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 Boston was the deeper team. 
you know, it's basically when, um, you know, you see the performances of Pritchard, Grant Williams, who was like kind of falling off a cliff yeah. <laughs> with his offensive game. Um, what have you thought of Golden State's, uh, you know, the other guys of Golden State, the the Gary Payton, the seconds, the Jordan Pools in certain instances, the um, the we're going to get to this, but the Andrew Wiggins of, of it all. What have you thought about? The, has, has it surprised you the Warriors, uh, the Warriors supporting cast, how they've played in in this finals? A little bit, but I think you framed it perfectly, which is going in what this series seemed like in terms of depth, and even like games one and two, what it seemed like in terms of depth. Because I think what we've seen from Golden State is a lot of their supporting guys have gotten more and more comfortable. You know, Jordan Poole has looked better as the series has gone on. Gary Payton not only has gotten healthier, but is really finding his stride and how he can impact this series. And so when on, when you have on one side, the Celtics, who, as you mentioned, Grant Williams, I don't know if I don't know if he's unplayable, but has been really, really damaging and had a lot of empty minutes in the time that he's been on the floor. Boston has like six guys it can rely on, maybe six, six and a half players it can really lean on. And the Warriors seem to find every game like a little bit more from Otto Porter, a little bit more from Kavon Looney, a little bit more from Jordan Poole and Gary Payton. Like these things matter just in terms of giving your team the option of how to build lineups, to how to sustain over the course of 48 minutes. Like the Warriors have that part figured out. And I, I don't know what that is. If that's an organizational culture thing, if that's like these guys being individually resourceful and knowing their roles and all that. But they, there's no question they look like the deeper team at this point. It's like a Spursian type level performance from these other guys. And I'm curious to see how this is going forward in, 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 in future years because you know this, Rob. We always get the, you know, whenever the, the Spurs come to town, it's usually like a Tuesday in like February or something. And then, you know, there's some of those games where Pop just says, I'm going to arrest all, everyone. And somehow um, the other guys make it a competitive game even down the stretch and especially in the Spurs glory years, they would do that. And those same players in May and June, those other guys that you saw score, like, you know, the random guy that scores 15 points off the bench that you never heard of. He winds up being, you know, clutch in the, in the, in the postseason. I'm curious to see how, cause they're, I'm curious to see how the Warriors do this in, in future years, because they're going to, as we've seen in this final series, they're going to need the other guys more than ever over the next few years. Um, and it's curious. I'm, I'm curious how they develop those guys. Yeah, and how quickly they go from kind of guy you can plug in on a random Tuesday night in February to essential part of the team. You know, like M Moses Moody's trajectory in that regard, like he, he could go from one to the other really quickly. You know, you could see that for him. Obviously, Jonathan Kuminga is just enormously talented and athletic in a way that pretty much no one else on this roster is, those guys could become really essential personnel really quickly, just given the state of where the Warriors are now. They're not quite ready, I think, for this stage, for this level of competition. I mean, may maybe you could throw Moody in there for minutes here and there if you really needed to. But over the next two years, I mean, those guys are going to ramp up into being really, really important parts of the Warriors' core one way or the other. I want to talk about Andrew Wiggins, who you wrote about on TheRinger.com. Um, just, there was a, there was an interesting, uh, you started off your story talking about how Flip Saunders used to get very upset with Andrew Wiggins' wasted minutes. And when I see Andrew Wiggins now, and also hindsight is twenty twenty, right? If, um, 
you know, there's always so many what ifs, right? If what if Flip Saunders is, you know, God willing, still here with us, right? What, what, how, how, how does that stay? How does that help with Andrew Wiggins's consistency from a from a front office standpoint? If that happens, right? Um, what if he doesn't get four coaches in however many years? Um, are we are we finally seeing uh, Andrew Wiggins? perfectly cast it's like like nba teams are like casting a movie in a lot of ways right you need the supporting guys you need the lead person and i feel like andrew wiggins has finally found the perfect role for andrew wiggins and if you look back it was there in plain sight the whole time right even when he was the number one pick um and when he was in high school you would you would hear people say oh he's super talented but sometimes he just gets lost in the game right and that sounds like a guy that's a third or fourth option on a really, really great team. Did 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 we miss out on Andrew Wiggins? Did we miss something with Andrew Wiggins, or was he just here the whole time? It's tricky with this stuff. Like, I mean, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people over the course of these finals about players and what you can expect of them and like how they're slotted really early in their careers for certain kinds of outcomes, right? Like you're drafted in, you know, the top five, you're expected to be a star like Andrew Wiggins, you're put in in particular roles and positions to succeed or you fail and how fair that is or not fair that is. And like, I'm a big believer in the fact that every player who comes into the NBA who thinks they can do more should try to press to do more. Like if you're a young player I know some coaches telling you you need to stand in the corner and play your role, and that's probably healthy for the team, but it's going to be healthy for your career if you can be an 18 to 20 point guy, if you can be a creator. And so I, I find myself hard pressed to look at Andrew Wiggins, who had all the athletic potential in the world, to come into the NBA and say, like, I need to be a number three guy. Like, you at least have to try, right? Like, you got to plug him into that number one role or number two role with, with Cat and say, what does this look like? And it didn't really look great. I think we saw that pretty quickly. Uh, but then as soon as, you know, when Jimmy Butler showed up and it's like, okay, now he's kind of a number three in Minnesota. It's looking like something that might work. But then you put him next to a guy like Steph, you put him next to Steph and Clay, you put him next to Steph and Clay and Draymond, and it just takes on a completely different life, right? You you really streamline his role in a way that's healthy for him. And now all of a sudden, some of the some of the exact shots that in Minnesota, I, like people like me would have been rolling their eyes at, like, you know, turnarounds, contested jumpers, late pull-ups. Now those are like really important shots for the Warriors. They're the things that that other guys in this team can't get to. You know, they give them that. You, you don't want to compare a guy like Andrew Wiggins to what Kevin Durant gave this team, but like some sense of that same shot diet of like difficult late clock jumpers that, that Clay is not going to get at this point in his career. And so the fact that it's almost the same stuff that's working for him, and yet it's just a completely different disposition from Andrew Wiggins that gets you there, that's a magical combination. Like the fact that he's digging in defensively every possession, every game, the way he is, the fact that he's rebounding the way he is, those were huge glaring weaknesses for him in his early in his early career. And he's rectified them completely. And yet in a way where to him, he still feels like, at least from, from hearing him talk and talking to him, that he feels like he's the same player. I don't know how you pull off that magic act of letting a guy like that feel fulfilled in his role, but also transforming in such an such an incredible way. It's funny because like there's a lot of there's some there's an interesting comparison I'm about to bring up, but it seems like it's like an, an Andre Guadala type of transition where 
a guy is drafted to be a franchise person, maybe miscast, like I said. Um, you know, Andre obviously had a better career in terms of leading his team to playoff success um, when he was with the Sixers and, and, and having that impact. But a guy that can transition into that third or, or fourth guy on a championship team, um, when you talk about and just the mindset that it takes from that, right? Because I can't imagine, and I'm not in Andrew Wiggins' mind, but it's it's when you're tasked to be a guy, when you're tasked to be a star, you have to do everything. You have to be a defender. You have to be a scorer. You have to be a guy, a face of the franchise and, and the community and things like that. And not to say that Andrew Wiggins aren't, isn't that guy, but he's a very muted personality, um, if that makes sense. And I think now when he only has to do two or three things and Steph and Clay and Draymond get all the pressure, I think it makes it easier for him to be a better defender and a better rebounder and things like that. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. And that's not even, you know, talking about what stars have to do in terms of defense and every play intensity and all that stuff doesn't even get into. And also like a whole defense Prime is trying to stop you. Totally, as totally. A, as, as a franchise guy. And all the extracurricular stuff of like leadership and communication and all of that, like that's probably not Wiggins' strong suit, right? Like running a franchise in the way that guys like Steph and Draymond run a franchise or, or propel a franchise or lead a franchise. So he can just slot in and be himself and work hard and play this role that in which he is both highlighted but also not highlighted too much. Highlight. I don't know what the past tense of highlighted is, um, <laughs> but uh, but it works. It works out so well for him. And maybe we should have seen that all along. Maybe from the moment the trade was made, we should have been thinking, "Oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity for Andrew Wiggins." But I think it was still so fuzzy back then of like what the Warriors were going to look like and when Clay was going to be back, and it was so hard to necessarily imagine how you plug in this historically high usage guy in Andrew Wiggins into what had been kind of a lower usage role, unless you're Kevin Durant playing small forward for the Warriors. Maybe we should have seen that, but I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to Wiggins really changing so much about his approach to the game in ways that make you a championship player in ways that get you somehow improbably into the finals MVP discussion. I don't really know how that checks out, but, uh, but he certainly played incredible basketball over the course of this series. I do wonder is this is is Andrew Wiggins what Joe Lacob like wanted Harrison Barnes to be like just the natural evolution of that wing? Man, Her- Harry Barnes taking lots of shots throughout these finals. Just every time Andrew Wiggins does well, it's like couldn't, why couldn't why couldn't you do that, Harrison Barnes? Why why couldn't well, you no, be this guy? It's a different circumstance. Harry B would have been just fine if he would have stayed in Golden State, in my opinion. But I'm sorry, they just got Kevin Durant instead. You know. I think I think Harry B is more of a victim than that than anything. Well, I do. I mean, it in this comparison, I do think he's kind of the guy that Harrison Barnes was drafted to be. You know, before they before the Warriors even had a clear idea of what their championship type roster was going to look like, just on the prospect of this big wing who has the length and the, and the kind of the wiry strength to to bully smaller wings and guards, but can also like stand up to forwards and bigger opponents too. Like Andrew Wiggins is checking all those same boxes and he just has a little bit like more lift and burst, obviously, than Harrison Barnes ever did. I'm sorry, Harry B. My bad. Uh, no shots over here. But 
I, I, I'm, I'm curious to, to see, to see how that, that plays out, um, especially over the, you know, the summer and, and, and what happens with, um, with, with Andrew, um, give me a case of the, of the, uh, of the Warriors winning tonight and give me a case of the Celtics winning tonight. Well, what do you got on either way? I, I, we'll get to predictions in a second, but what do you, what do, what does each team have to do to win tonight? Oh, good question. I think Golden's. So let's let's start with the Warriors. What do the Warriors have to do well? I think they have to have the same kind of half court defensive intensity that they did in Game Five, um, and maybe even more. Maybe even more than that in terms of like that was a team that was just reading every pass the Celtics wanted to make, and guys like Gary Payton and Draymond Green were two steps ahead of it, ready to pick off those passes. I think they have to kind of have that level of foresight again. Because you you would imagine the Celtics will come out with that desperation we talked about, will come out with a couple days of film work in knowing kind of like what where their spots are and where they aren't. I think if the Warriors have that, they're going to be in a really good place. Um, and some of that comes down to the fact that, honestly, the Celtics have played well defensively in this series overall. Like their defense is held up in the half court, just like they get burned on transition stuff. And so if like the Warriors just kind of keep puttering along at the same offensive rate they have been, but their defense is as good as it's been, that's obviously a workable formula for them. For the Celtics, I think I think it's going to come down to to circle back to the depth conversation. Is this like is this a good Derek White game? Is this a good Grant Williams game? Like can they get one more guy to give them or is this a good Al Horford game again? Because he he really has tapered off over the course of this series. If this is a big Al Horford game, then all of a sudden the complexion of, of their rotation and their lineups look so different. So I'm going to say, like, can they get one more guy who's kind of struggled over these last two or three games to really pop? When I look at both of the teams, and you know, I was in um I went to Media Day yesterday at, at TD Garden. And when I look back at the press conferences, it's the, and I know that the Warriors are up 3-2, but it was an interesting juxtaposition of Warriors are in there confident. Like, they've been there before. They've And the same confidence that they had when after, like, they were down 0-1 or when they were down 2-1 in the series, right? They were just oozing with confidence. They seemed like they were speaking. Um, it's funny, when you go to... When you, when you go to press conferences, at least one of the things that I look for is just the tone and how how teams speak and how they're thinking and things and just just basically the tone. It doesn't really matter what they're saying per se, but just the tone of how they say it. And the Warriors seemed pretty confident going into the the uh, it, it's game six. Whereas whenever I when I when I see Tatum talk, um, you know, before the game or, or in, during the media day. It's a bit more muted. It's a bit more, you know. It's it's heads a little down. Um, not, I, I don't, I, I don't want to get inside of his head, but just those were kind of the what you see out of the Celtics. And I don't know if that should. I, I haven't been around the Celtics all this much all season, so I don't, I don't know how how they do that. But it just seemed like an interesting juxtaposition of one team coming in really confident, coming on the road. Um, very confident, even the home team who was who has played well and who has showed resiliency throughout the postseason seemed a bit muted and seemed just a bit okay. Uh, it, it was just interesting. It's, I, I, that was just a very interesting observation that I was seeing from both teams. You know, it, it's I don't want to overblow this, but there's something to the fact that 
Jason Tatum has kind of a slip during his press conference where he refers to tonight's game as the last game of the season. And then he corrects himself. Oh, no, I meant the last, you know, the last home game or the last, you know, last two games of the season, whatever his correction was. But, you know, it's it's not, I wouldn't say that's something, but it's not nothing, you know? Like there, there, there is the thought in his mind, I think rightly so, that this could be it. And, and maybe that spurs, maybe that ultimately galvanizes the team and gets them to get their shit together. But maybe it doesn't. Maybe, maybe, maybe we're celebrating a championship tonight as a, as a collective NBA body. Maybe there's people lighting up whatever area of Boston they would like to light up after tonight's game. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll see. All right, let's get to predictions because I, I want to talk about some other NBA storylines in a second. Who you got going? Who you got winning game six? I think I feel like it's a Warriors game. I, I feel like we're done. I feel like this is it. I don't know. I like. I think there's just the natural kind of tapering of this series strategically in terms of which players are viable, in terms of who's looking good and who's not. A lot of those factors seem to lean Warriors to me. I mean, how how are you feeling about it? I'm. I think we're on the same page with this one. Um, and and I've I've done that. You know how when you go to it to especially when you're around other other writers and journalists, you you kind of crowdsource and just be like, what do you think? You think they're gonna win? You think? I've heard a lot of Celtics winning this series. I mean, not winning the series, but winning this game and going back to um, Game Seven. And I think that's just because we, they want to see an epic series. I don't think that there's any evidence that suggests that one, the Celtics are ready for this moment. Particularly, um, there is no evidence that they're confident in this moment um, at this point, just based on what I've just seen and. The Warriors also, uh, we also know this, the Warriors are very self-aware and they also are aware that you don't want to play with your food. You know, if you get them in, if you get them on the ropes, you want to, if you get any team on the ropes, you want to just finish them. I think the Warriors, um, especially after game five, where while they played a great game, it wasn't their best by any stretch. Steph didn't play well. Um, and I think just all that coming together, I think the Warriors win, not in a route, but I think that they win in a, in a really, in a convincing fashion. I, I think you're, you're spot on too about the media predictions in terms of a lot of it is wishful. A lot of it, like I, there, we are at the point in the playoffs where someone's prediction will tell you a lot about, do they want to go to an Epic game seven or are they ready to go home? And have the playoffs be over and see their families again, um, and they're trying and they're trying to speak into existence whichever outcome they want. And maybe, maybe that's us. Maybe we're just saying, "Look, I'm ready, ready for some, ready to chill, ready to catch up on some TV and movies, ready for some off season talk." Maybe that's where we are mentally at this. Maybe stage, we're ready Logan. to watch Lightyear when we get home. I am, not, I am not ready to watch Lightyear. No, okay. I don't, I don't right. know about okay. all that. I'm not going to take the slander from you. I don't know what that means. That's <laughs> not. I don't. I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think I, I'm going, I'm going with the Warriors. Um, I just, I think you just said it just right on the tee. One of the Celtics have tapered off and two, it's just, you just always get that, You especially around these times, you kind of just get the feeling it's, this is one of those series where you just kind of, you, we, I feel like I finally got a feel for this. Series. Mm. I think a lot of the players have too, you know, like it, it is, it is interesting how that works, like tactically in terms of feel, in terms of intensity, like, you know, I'm sure Jordan Poole would say the same thing. I'm sure Nemanja Bielitsa would say the same thing. Like, a lot of these Warriors have a feel for this series and what their spots are uh, in ways that, that some of the supporting Celtics don't. 
FanDuel is giving new customers $200 in free bets, guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. The NBA Finals are here, and so is your chance to score big on FanDuel Sportsbook. Throughout the NBA playoffs, FanDuel is giving new customers $200 in free bets, guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Bet the money line, point spreads, player props, and so much more. Plus, you can combine your bets for an even bigger payday with the same game parlay. Game 6 the NBA Finals is coming up today, and I want to build a same-game parlay around the Warriors' money line, because I think the Warriors are going to pull this one out. But I am going to take Jason Tatum to score the first bucket of the game, and I'll also take him to score 30 or more points. And I think I'm going to take Andrew Wiggins with a double-double with 10 or more rebounds. I think Andrew Wiggins is going to make a real big impression on the game. And I think the Warriors are going to pull out Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Season's over. We'll see. But... You can sign up with promo code RINGERNBA for all your same-game parlay needs. If you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot because the only thing sweeter than watching the finals is cashing in on all the actions. Join today with promo code RINGERNBA and turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose. Make every game feel like Game 7 with FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, an official partner of the NBA. 21 or older in select states, first online money wager of at least $5, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as a non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com backslash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA 1-877-770-STOP-LOUISIANA 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369-NEW YORK Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789-TENNESSEE or visit www.1800gambler.net, West Virginia This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for $5 chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man. I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Uh, I want to quickly, I want to go talk. I want to talk uh, Mavericks really quickly. Sure. Um, Christian Wood. Well, Christian Wood got traded to the Mavericks um, for, I think it was the 20, what was it, the 26th pick? Um, they sent the 26th pick to uh, Houston for Christian Wood. Also, Marquise Chris and um, and uh, I think Boban is also in that deal. I don't know if, the, I don't think Boban or Chris is going to play for the Rockets, but 
Um, anyway, the, it was basically a swap for Christian Wood. And you wrote, um, and I, you wrote around uh, the conference finals. I think it was that was it. I think it was after the conference finals. But you wrote a piece basically how it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if um, the Mavericks didn't pull off a move this offseason. Um, considering it's really early, considering early in this offseason they have pulled off a move to get Christian Wood. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's like what I was arguing then was they didn't necessarily have to go big for the second star that we always talk about with Luca, right? Like that kind of supporting guy. And some of that is just the reality of what they have to give up in a trade. And we see that here where whatever you may think about Christian Wood and his limitations and the caveats that he comes with as a player, they're trading mostly like, again, a, a, a pick, a first round pick, a late first round pick, and then a bunch of guys on their bench who weren't really playing much at all. And you're getting a guy in Christian Wood who is productive, who is a threat offensively, who I think most notably in this case is not Dwight Powell. And I say that, I, I'm a, trying to say that with all due respect to Dwight Powell, but that's a guy who could not hang in the conference finals, who could not really play. And maybe Christian Wood couldn't either, but I think it's worth it if you're in the Mavs position to get guys like that who have that kind of talent and try. Like say, can we coach this guy up defensively to the point that he can withstand a series against a team like the Warriors, like whoever, you know, the cream of the crop in the West is going to be next season. Can he, can, can we get him to the point where he can stand up to that? And I think between Luca and between the coaching job, Jason Kidd did this year, they have every reason to believe that they could get to that point. I'm curious to see where, what Christian Wood does in Dallas, just for the simple fact that he is a guy that's always been a good guy on bad to average teams. And Similar to, we were just talking about Andrew Wiggins, a guy that, you know, get him into a winning environment, see what he does. I would be curious to see what he does when a team is caring about winning over development, which is what the Rockets were doing. You know, their their priority, while it was tight that they had Christian Wood on the team, their priority was getting, you know, their young core together and figuring that out with Jalen Green. He Wood was never going to be the focus um, on that in that organization. What is the what does the West look like next year? Right? What where what are we what are we going to see? Right? Because on paper, the Mavericks are going to be in the mix. The Grizzlies are going to be in the mix. Um, the Warriors are going to be in the mix. The Suns are going to be in the mix. But there are a lot of question marks with all those teams that I just named, big question marks. Totally. And teams like the Nuggets and the Clippers, like all these teams, like any of those teams could win the West next season. Any and of them. I think we named like eight or nine teams that could yeah. win the West. <laughs> um, where does where do the Mavericks fit in that? I think they're they're in um, maybe not like the top top group, but knocking on the door of it, you know. And I think we saw that the, like this this year's playoffs for the Mavs was maybe not like the best case scenario for their their talent in their roster, but it was a pretty good one. You know, it's like a, like a 90th, 85th to 90th percentile outcome of what that team could be. They played really well up to their potential. Can they do that again? Can they be as healthy again? Can they get the supplementary pieces they need? Can they fend off the Nuggets and the Clippers and, you know, a year where John Morant is another season better and like all these, all these young guys in the league and, you know, healthier Jamal Murray and like all these things, that's where it gets tricky. That's where it gets tricky for a lot of these teams. I mean, when you think about the West next season, I mean, it's really just the Thunder and the Rockets who might not be in a position to be better next season or like dramatically better to the point that they're going to be a playoff team. 
Um, but you would think that the Lakers are going to reorganize in some way and be a little bit better. Obviously, Portland is going to oh, try. We forgot about thing. the Lakers. You know, they're <laughs> they're theoretically a team in the mix, right? Um, you know, like all these teams are are have like a veteran star and are trying to get back into that group. And so that's a that's a desperate conference right there. And so it's it's going to be one of those things where I think thirty games into next season we're going to have a sense of, oh, this team that is trying to make the playoffs is actually quite bad. And they're going to have to start probably tanking or, or punting and trading guys uh, to make their season kind of make sense. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know why if you're the Minnesota Timberwolves or the New Orleans Pelicans or whoever, you're not you're not talking to yourself saying like, we have a shot to, to, to get in and make something happen and make noise, if not get to the West Finals. It's funny. I, I, even the teams, like I'm thinking about the Phoenix Suns next year. And they're going to be the most interesting case study. I don't know what they're going to be, bro. I have no idea. I mean, Aiden seems to be gone. Yeah, who knows? Like, what it he's just even seems like be. he's leaving. It's like, ah, wow. His, his his agent is just like, yo, there are other teams in the league. I'm not sure if you guys are aware, <laughs> but we will get this bag, bro. We're going to get this bag. I, let's talk about the Suns really quickly. Are, are, are the are the Suns? When you talk about Aiden being gone. Or I don't know if he's going to be gone as a restricted free agent, but it just all signs points to just a very messy divorce. Have him, and then if Aiden's not on the team, would he, there's a question of what you do with that, and then you have an aging Chris Paul, and then then like when you look at their team on paper, really great team, and then when you kind of just see the guys, when you put the names to the faces, when you put the when bodies to the names, it's a different story. What are the Phoenix Suns going to be next year? Yeah, not just the bodies to the names to the faces, but the ages with those guys, and especially with with Chris Paul. This is, I, I think, the Suns are like case in point to our conversation earlier about how this stuff is not guaranteed. The Dan Marino type effect, right? Like, just because you get to the finals once does not guarantee anything, you know. And if 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 next season the West is really crowded and they just get boxed out, you could imagine a scenario over the next couple of years where. Once Chris Paul either retires or moves into a different phase of his career or, or kind of whatever his future looks like, they're going to have some big questions. Like Aiton was supposed to be the transitional guy in some ways, right? Like during this stage, he was a supplementary helper. He was going to finish lobs. He's going to defend and stuff. But he's the young star who's, who was really, I think, expected to pop unless you really think highly of what like Mikhail Bridges can be offensively because Devin Booker is kind of the player he's going to be more or less right at the, at this point. So who else, who else are you looking at on that roster and saying like, this is the guy who's going to get to that Chris Paul level to get us back into the finals, to get us back into that kind of accomplishment and achievement. It's tough. I mean, like for a team that this season was so dominant in the regular season that last year clearly had such an amazing and maybe in some ways charmed playoff run things could get messy pretty quickly if if the Aiton trade isn't a knockout or if Aiton doesn't come back and look amazing and is like fully plugged into what they're doing. They they really need to make good on that that piece, whatever, whether trade or not, one way or the other. That has to work out for them. In your mind, who fumbled the most in this Aiton-Suns partnership? The Suns. I got I know. I think we we've gotten a little bit galaxy brained in our collective NBA thought process in terms of oh, this guy, this young guy's up for an extension. Let's wait and let's let's wait on the extension. Let's figure it out later so we can maximize our cap room so we can get this guy in there or that guy in there. Just extend young players. Like if they're good, just extend them. It's it's you can look if you extend DeAndre Ayton 
and uh, like first opportunity and you decide later that maybe you don't want to be on the hook for that deal, then deal with that later. It's just a number. It's just a number. It's just an, like, look at l- the Warriors case in point. I, I know there's been a lot of conversation this week about whether certain ownership groups will or won't pay certain like uh, <laughs> certain roster totals and tax bills. And, you know, God knows Robert Sarver is not known for opening his checkbook to like really splurge on this particular team. But you got to deal with that number later. You, you got to sign, like keep your guys happy, especially your core players and deal with all of that kind of financial fallout when you have to. I, I forget the numbers, but it, dude, you're going to do this over like five, $10 million. Like it, you're going to, are you really going to risk? Cause here's the thing, man. And Aiden throughout the, for the majority of the regular season, just took it on the chin. Right now there, there are some reports that, you know, he said, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't end well in those, in the, in the last uh, postseason game. But by and large, he was a good. Uh, it was a good player for their team, especially during you know the series against New Orleans. But this is why you just take care of guys, so it doesn't seep into the locker room, so it's not a distraction. Just get it done before the season, or if you don't get it done, communicate with your guys about how to where what, where it's going. And I don't feel I don't feel like that happened with with the Suns. Um, and it's funny because. Um, every time we bring up the Suns, like, and I, I remember, you know, anytime you, you talk to someone in the Suns, like, hey, they're doing a good job. It's always like, you know, just wait for the other, uh, other shoe to drop. And I think it's dropping now. And the if, if there's anything about the Suns, if history tells you anything about the Suns, they are, they are good for three, four year stretches. And those stretches always seem like they should have been longer. That's that is a, that is a hell of a statement on what that franchise is and who runs them and who's signing the checks. That says that says it all right there. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Anyway, the the West is going to be a very interesting um, conference next year. Um, but let's um, let's go to a little segment um, we'd like to call "Real One of the Week," where we shout out a person, an entity, an organization. Um, we're going to, it's been tough. I, I, you said something, I don't know what you said pre-pod, but it was pretty hilarious. You're like, how do I find a real one of the week? Something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing here. How do I find a real one of the week when the world has gone to shit? <laughs> I think that's a direct quote, actually. So you know, Is that it. a direct quote from that's Rob Mahoney? That's a direct Mahoney? quote. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tough. It's tough out there to find a real one of the week and in the like global or national or regional sense. Like everything is bad. I'm going to go with an album cut. I'm going to go with a deep cut here. Okay. I'm going to go with um, Terry, the security guard at Chase Center. Oh. I'm going to go with him. He always holds it down whenever, like, you know, if I, if I, if I need something, if, if I or anyone needs anything, um, like, yo, is a player in there right now who's in there? Terry always holds it down, man. You know, last time, I don't know if I'm going to see him until next season. So we'll see. Terry from Chase Center, real of the week. This is the right move, right? Like if, if the world is shit, let's zoom all the way in. Let's go, let's go as, as local as it gets in terms of our individual who has been real to us. And that's why I like I don't know how I don't know how kosher it is to make a corporation the real one of the week. Uh-oh. Okay. That all right. Maybe this is a free sponsorship. I don't know. But I want <laughs> improbably, I want to make JetBlue Airlines the real one of the week. 
Oh. And in part, I want I want to prompt to discuss, you know, we need to have a dialogue. You know, you and I, Logan, <laughs> we are we are gentlemen of a certain height. Yes. Legroom on a flight is is at a premium. It's a very precious thing. And we're being our rights are being infringed upon. We need yes. to get like a tall, a tall person power rankings of what airlines we can realistically ride talk on. Talk that I, talk. I'm going to put JetBlue like right there at the top or near the top of the list. I flew JetBlue out here. The cross-country San Francisco to Boston flight experience is awful. I don't recommend anyone be on a plane for that long. But if you have to, get on, get on your JetBlue plane if you're of a certain height. You know, If you're, if you're struggling for this legroom life like we are. I'm just going to say, man... It's really rough being tall. And I know there's going to be a lot of short folks that are like, no, what are you talking about? No, man, it's tough, bro. Like, I was on a United flight going the same, making the same trip. And thank goodness I got status on United because if I would have went, I was in Economy Plus, and if I would have went two rows back, I don't oh. even know how I would have survived. I have no idea how I would have survived. There's, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really not cool how they treat us, man. It's really not cool. It's like we're second-class citizens on there, you know? Yeah, 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 man. I got to sit on a plane for five and a half hours with my knees to my chest. Yep. I'm just, I'm just praying they don't recline in front of me. Please, just oh, please. And God forbid <laughs> you get like a middle or, or a middle or, uh, or a window seat on these cross-country flights if you're not have no leg room because then you have to do the thing where you just you have to where you have to like tell the middle dude to get middle person to get up and the other person to get up because you got to go on a walk every like <laughs> 45 minutes it's brutal i'm sorry we're really in the deep what's the deep cuts right now i'm sorry <laughs> we're, we're in the we're in the which you you feel my pain? I'm sorry. There's not a many journalists that feel our pain. There's we're pretty we're in like the 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 top percent of like height for for NBA writers. I would say yeah. It's just it's tough. It's like five of us. It's like me, you, Spears, Monty Poole, and and like I don't know. And that's the center and, rotation for for the NBA media right there. That's it. <laughs> All right. That that was there. All right. That was another edition of. Uh, of real ones, our Thursday ruins. Thank you, Rob, for coming on, bud. Um, we got Roger coming on next week, but in the meantime, in between time, you can make sure you check out Rob on a little on a on a on a, on a little popping podcast we like to call group chat. Hell yeah! Um, um, and you can also check out the rest of our Ringer slate. That is the answer. That is weekends with Waz. That is the mismatch. That is the void. Boom! The void with Kevin O'Connor. Um, and make sure you go check out all our other, um, all our other things on the ringer, uh, on the ringer podcast network. I'm, um, loving 60 songs that define the nineties, um, with Rob Harvella. He's like the goat. I love what he does. You can go check out higher learning with van. Um, what else? Uh, ringer verse. Um, also speaking of ringer verse, uh, personalities, Jomi will be here, um, next, next Monday do with his pack watch. Make sure you guys, uh, come come back for that. Um, you know, Roger's not here. We're going to keep the propaganda going. You know, you make sure you check out Black Girl Songbook with who? Roger's not here. So that is town legend, uh, Daniel Smith. Make sure you check out R2C2 with who? Ro Wait, Roger's not here again. I apologize. Um, R2C2 with CC Sabathia. We'll see you guys on uh, Monday. Holla. Holla.